0: Uh, don't know about you, but I love the range of things that we are involved with as a church. Whether it's Sputnik, uh, our network of Christian artists pursuing excellence together and sharing their creative skills with people predominantly outside the church. Whether it's our Christians Against Poverty Centre uh, looking to help people get debt free uh, across the city. Uh, I work with older people. Uh, this afternoon we've got uh, another one of our Time for Tea events. I don't know, 40, 50, uh, older people from around the city coming along to that. Uh, it's a joy to have sent a team to Beirut uh, to plan into a particularly tricky part of that city. Uh, and of course to be looking to reach the nations who are right here on our doorstep in our city, whether that's through things like Run for Refugees or the Hope English Club that is in its third week now, I guess some new people came this last Friday. You know, since this Church 21 years ago, we have dreamt of being a church that reflects the rich diversity that is found in our city. Really from day one, our desire has very much been to be a family where God is glorified and the power of the gospel is magnified through that knitting together of people from different races and cultures and backgrounds that Johan was talking about just a few moments ago, where it's kind of obvious for those looking in from the outside that there is something that draws us together that is so glorious and so magnificent that any of the natural differences between us just fade into insignificance. Now, despite... Johan and Isabel's kind words, we're not quite there yet, but that's absolutely where we want to be. Now, last few weeks, we've been seeing, haven't we, how this really goes all the way back to the first ever church in the book of Acts. If you remember, we saw how, first of all, a bunch of Samaritans were reached with the gospel. Then we saw the pretty profound story of God sending Philip to reach an Ethiopian eunuch. Last week we saw how Saul, a Jewish Pharisee, came to faith in Jesus, and today we're going to be in Acts 10 and 11, which tell the story of the gospel finally reaching Europe. Let me just quickly kick things off by filling you in on a bit of the background so that you understand what's happening at the point where we're going to eventually pick up the story. It all starts with Peter having this dream and in the dream a great white sheet comes down from heaven and on the sheet were a whole host of different animals that the Jews would have naturally thought of as being unclean whether it was birds of the air or reptiles or pigs or those kinds of creatures and to his surprise Peter hears this voice from heaven telling him to kill the animals and eat them. Now I don't think we necessarily appreciate the magnitude of what's happening in that dream. You see, for 1,400 years, the Jews have faithfully avoided those animals because God himself told them they were unclean. And now, God is saying to Peter, I want you to eat those forbidden animals. Kind of guessing Peter thought that this was, in reality, some sort of test of the sincerity of his faith. And so he responds like any good Jew would by saying, Not a chance, Lord. I mean, I've never, ever in my entire life touched anything unclean. I'm not going to touch them now. But God says, Peter, what I have cleansed, you are never again to call unclean. Now, Peter is still confused, and in something of a daze, trying to figure out what in the world all of this could possibly mean, when someone comes along and knocks at his door, he opens the door and is greeted by a bunch of Gentiles saying, look, you don't know us, we don't know you, but an angel told us to come to talk to you. I mean, talk about awkward. You can... Imagine them standing there for some time, staring at each other, wondering who was going to make the first move and what on earth was supposed to be happening next. And it's as though the light comes on for Peter and slowly but surely he begins to piece it all together. And he realizes that the dream that he has just had was all about these guys coming to visit him. Verse 34, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. He kind of realizes that all along, that prohibition on eating unclean animals had merely been a picture of human sinfulness. Just like they couldn't eat certain animals because eating them would make them unclean, So sin defiles the human spirit, making it unable to come anywhere near God. But now that Jesus has died, he has removed the defilement for the whole human race, for all, regardless of background, who would receive it. At the end of the day, despite all of our differences, we basically all have one problem sin and there is only one saviour Jesus we're all part of one race the human race and we all share one ultimate hope the resurrection and so the word that recurs throughout Peter's sermon in this passage over the next 10 or so verses is that word all verse 36 Jesus is lord of all verse 38 Jesus healed all all who were oppressed by the devil, whether that was Gentiles, tax collectors, Roman soldiers, prostitutes, he cast the net wide. And then Peter ends his sermon in this way, verse 43, he, Jesus, is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, The Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now, I'd suggest that by filling them all with the Spirit of God there and then, God himself was giving a sign to the Jews that he is now including people from every nation and every culture in his plan of salvation. Because this was really hard for the Jews. You see for 1400 years the whole focus of God's activity in the world had been on them it had been on the Jewish people and so it's a real struggle for them to see how other people could now in some way be a part of God's plans you kind of see that struggle at the beginning of chapter 11 it says in verse 2 when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem the Jewish believers criticized him You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. And Peter told them exactly what had happened. He tells them about the dream, about preaching to a room full of Gentiles, about how the Holy Spirit fell on them all. Then he explains verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning." Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Listen. God was determined to integrate people of different races and cultures into the church. This wasn't Peter's idea. This wasn't the Gentiles' idea. It was very much the Holy Spirit's idea. So who are we to stand in his way? And that's the question that I want us to consider today. Are you or I... Standing in God's way of culturally integrating his church. Now, as ever, I've got three main headings. Um, We have a few note-takers. This is one of those talks, uh, it may benefit all of us to take some notes. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's just an overarching story, and we're much better at remembering stories, and there's a bit of challenge, and we can go away with that one challenge, Just to tip you off, there are probably more points in this message than in any I have ever preached. And regardless of how good you think your memory is, you won't remember it all unless you take some notes. So now is the time to reach for a scrap of old paper or one of those newfangled device things that you can take notes on as well. So you don't have to, but it might be an idea if you want to remember anything uh, as a result. Now, three main headings. First of all, I want to explain a little bit more why cultural integration is so incredibly important. Second, I want to touch on just a couple of reasons why it is often so hard for us, and then I'd like to highlight some of the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead for us as we seek to apply this message actively at Church Central. So first point, why is cultural integration in the church so important. Well, three reasons that I want to give you. There are probably others, but here's the first one. One of God's chief purposes in salvation is to bring the races back together again. Remember the cultures and races were, were split apart in Genesis 11. It's the story of how humanity came together to build a tower as a monument To their greatness. And so God scattered them, creating a whole bunch of new cultures and languages in the process. Now, just by way of an aside, let me very quickly tell you a little secret about God's judgment on sin. A lot of times when God judges you for your sin, He gives you over to it, He gives you more of the very thing you wanted in the first place so that you can taste something of the bitterness of it. So humanity's pride had led to the building of this tower. As a result, God separated us into various cultures. And ironically, those cultural distinctives would become one of the primary sources of our pride. It's like, our culture is better than yours. No, ours is better than yours. No, our race is the best one. No, our race is better. That's Genesis 11. But straight away in Genesis 12, God chooses Abraham and tells him he's going to make him a blessing to all those scattered cultures in the earth. See, the plan from the beginning was to bring them back together again and do something even greater, something even more glorious through bringing them together. Not united together around their pride, but around their common knowledge of God's grace and salvation. And so you get little hints of this right throughout the Old Testament but it culminates in Revelation 5 right at the end of the Bible with a sneak preview of the end of the story and what we see is representatives from every tribe, every tongue, every nation united in praising God for his salvation. We're kind of singing about that right at the beginning, that song with words that it's impossible to keep up with because there's so many of them but it was a picture of the nations around the world praising God around the throne right in the middle of all of that is the church and the church is supposed to be giving a sign of what's to come can't do it all so we're still divided aren't we by language but as much as we can as a church as God's people we're to be painting a picture of what that coming kingdom looks like and throughout the book of Acts we're getting a glimpse of this Acts 2, you you see the gospel proclaimed in multiple languages at Pentecost. Later on in Acts 16, when Paul goes to Philippi, we're, we're told of three specific people who get saved. There's Lydia, there's a slave girl, and there's a Roman jailer. Now, here's why that's significant. There are three things that your typical Jewish man would pray every morning. Now, prepare to be shocked rather controversially, they would pray, Lord, thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you that I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. And what we get in this story is the three groups of people that the Jewish men were grateful they weren't being drawn into God's family. The net goes far and wide. It includes those that previously perhaps wouldn't have been thought of as being included. And in Acts 13... We see that Antioch kind of becomes the capital of the Christian world because all the persecution in Jerusalem kind of driving the believers out. And here's what we're told about the church in Antioch. Acts 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul, Luke lists five church leaders. One is from the Middle East, one is from Asia, one is from the Mediterranean, two are from Africa. I think what Luke's doing is highlighting how incredibly culturally diverse the leadership in Antioch was. In fact, in Acts 11, verse 26, we're told that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In other words, this was the first place where they ceased to be identified so much by their race as by their identity in Christ. Let me put it this way. This isn't something I thought up, someone more insightful than me did, but I think it's a really helpful way of viewing this. We've all got a first race. Your first race is your race of birth. So in case you're wondering, I'm white British, that's my first race. Your second race is what we have in common with everyone else in the human race. But there's also a third race. The third race is who I am in Christ. And so when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you suddenly lose your first race. It just means that your identity in your third race becomes larger and more influential to you than anything about your first race. In other words, the unity that we can have together in the church in our third race is more significant than any divisions present in our first and our second races. Now the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch because this is where this third race became more defining in the church than all the varied cultures they were from. And it's surely no coincidence that the gospel then spread to the ends of the earth from that church in Antioch. They'd hit on something very powerful there. So, why well, is it important for us to pursue cultural integration? Well, God's purpose is to bring the races back together again. Secondly, a multicultural church is a powerful, powerful evangelistic witness. Ephesians 3 verse 9, Paul describes how I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Now what was this mysterious plan that in some way would display the wisdom, the glory, the power of God? Get the answer in verse 10. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church... To display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, a multi-racial church, in which people who have been perhaps historically divided, but now brought back together again in Christ, that is what points to the wisdom and glory and power of the gospel. I mean, just gathering a group of people who all share one culture and one history, gathering to listen to great music and perhaps an entertaining speaker, that's not going to display the wisdom and power of God. But when you have a loving community of people who have little in common except for a common love of Jesus and an experience of his grace, that speaks a powerful message to the whole world. A multicultural church is a powerful evangelistic witness. Thirdly, God is glorified through a beautiful tapestry of cultures. we, how in Revelation 5, the beauty of every culture is going to be represented around God's throne. Revelation 21, 26 just pushes this a bit further. It describes how he brings in the wealth and honor and glory of the nations. It's as though God is glorified by each culture bringing its own rich heritage, its own language, its own different worship styles, other cultural expressions. Each culture adds to the vivid color and vibrancy of what god is building right now in his church i don't know you might have heard the phrase we should all be colorblind so like we should see beyond one another's color we should be blind to it, it shouldn't be an issue to us i want news for you god is not colorblind listen the gospel is not colorblind, but color-engaging. This is a huge priority for us as a church because it is a huge priority for God. Why is cultural integration in the church so important? God's purpose is to bring the different cultures together. A multicultural church is a powerful evangelistic witness. God is glorified through a beautiful tapestry of cultures. Now, that sounds great in theory. In practice, this is hard, isn't it? it can be really challenging why that's our second point why is cultural integration so hard well i guess we could think of numerous reasons uh for the sake of those now taking notes and your your fingers or your thumbs or whatever i'm just going to give you two points first reason it's hard is our pride like i said earlier our race has become a source of pride for us you see we're constantly coming up with things that we believe make us significant that set us apart from other people like i'm smart i'm rich i went to this school and that in some way makes me better than you and i think race is one of the worst of those things because it always leads to us feeling either superior or inferior to one another we have to see is that at heart all racism comes from fear and insecurity. It's like, I need something to help me feel safe and significant because I don't obtain my worth and significance from God. So I've got to find something else that will make me feel worthy. And so we latch onto race, and that turns into a sense of superiority. Like, my race is better than your race. Or maybe inferiority like I'll never measure up to you or eventually insecurity. Why aren't you treating me with the respect that I feel like I deserve? As someone once said, the reason we have skin issues is really because we have sin issues. And pride is one of the most destructive of those sin issues second reason why this can be tough for us cultural preferences run incredibly deep don't they they really do a few years back a student came up to me after the meeting and they complained about our church not being quite diverse enough several months later That same person who's now not in the church. They're now looking around trying to guess who it was. They're they're not around. You probably don't even know them. Several months later, that same person complained that our worship was too noisy, that there are all these people shouting all of the time. You know, I think most of the time people don't actually want a multicultural church. They just want a multicolored church where people of different color all act as though they were in your culture. That's not God's intention. That's not God's plan. What God wants is a multicultural church. And the measure of a multicultural church is that everybody inevitably feels uncomfortable sometimes. Because whenever people do things outside your culture, you feel uncomfortable. You just do. So let's be honest. A lot of the time we say we want multiculturalism. But really, perhaps we don't. Now, just to say, this isn't just a church issue. I read an article recently in which there was this study of individuals who said they preferred to live in mixed communities. But when those people moved into those communities, they gravitated towards the neighbors that were their color. In other words, whether it's in the church or out there in society, this works better in theory than in practice. But how do you know if you're in a multicultural church? You feel uncomfortable. That's not wrong. That's not to be avoided. It's to be expected. What's wrong is when we judge each other. The Bible says man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. We all have our own cultural preferences. That's natural. But they become sin when we place too much value on them. And when we do that, cultural integration becomes virtually impossible a couple of reasons why this can be really tough thirdly and finally how can we try and apply this message here at church central well let me give you 10 suggestions about how we can intentionally pursue this 10 suggestions each one lasting for about a minute just for those who are worried about their lunch point number one our goal as a church isn't just the elimination of racism it's achieving genuine integration people feel like oh no 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 I'm not a racist so so I'm good on this but God's goal isn't just the elimination of racism it's different races existing together in loving community God's vision to Peter wasn't just stop being a racist but to embrace Cornelius to go in and eat with him to worship with him. So, congratulations that you're not a racist, but have you gone to the full measure of what the gospel calls you to do? It's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Each one of us must actively elevate his or her third race. Your first and second races, they don't disappear. Like I said, God is not colorblind, But the third race becomes weightier to us than the other two. An interesting example of this, which I find it interesting, and because I do, I'm going to share it with you. Just humor me by listening. Remember the occasion in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, who was from a Jewish culture, said he became a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentiles. Here's what I think he meant. His Jewishness his natural culture was so light to him that he could take it on and off like a hat or a coat or some other garment. His third race, being in Christ, was way weightier to him than his ethnicity. Now, how much time I spend in the sun, I cannot stop being white. and There's nothing wrong with with fitting most naturally into white culture but my identity in Christ should be weightier to me than my white ethnic identity which is what makes unity in the church possible because it's a unity that goes deeper than cultural styles and preferences. Point number three need to realize it is not just about the music. Don't hear me wrong, music matters. But there are plenty of other things that matter even more. And I say that because we'll never be unified through finding the perfect blend of music. Because here's what I've learned. It's never gonna be perfect for everyone. There's always gonna be someone who would prefer it done differently. It's too loud, it's too quiet, there are not enough drums, there are not the right drums, there are too many drums, there's not enough flute, there is a flute, and so it goes on. Realize it's not just about the music. Fourthly, realize that it is about the music, because this often seems to be the biggest sticking point for people from different cultures, and understandably so. So let me just break this down a bit more for you. There are some who feel that those who aren't more expressive in worship aren't giving God what he is due and are not showing God's worth to the watching world. And to that concern, I say, valid. There are others who feel like seemingly aggressive, charismatic worship leaders simply play on emotion Or just whipping things up with the music. And to that concern, I say valid. At the end of the day, we need to listen to one another and be influenced by each other. In general, we need to grow in our expressiveness and in our diversity in worship, especially if we're going to effectively reach people from other cultures. I mean, let's be honest, right now we are way too white middle class in our style. It's all very well me standing at the front here saying, oh, there is permission for diversity, but nothing is going to change unless we start a conversation where people can say what they really think and then help shape something different. Now just so you know, we're going to be doing that. So watch this space. Things will change. But we also need to be aware that people from outside the church in particular are very sensitive to what can seem to be little more than group hysteria. And so we want to be exuberant. We want to give God our all, engaging with God directly as we worship, But according to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, we also have to be sensitive and do things decently and in order, which means sometimes reigning in our emotions as an act of deference to those we're trying to reach. Fifthly, we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because ultimately, that's how you know you're in a multicultural church. You see, different cultures have different ways of expressing things, and that's not wrong. And so we need to quit judging one another and instead start appreciating each other, giving each other the benefit of the doubt and learning from one another. Sixthly, and this is really important, we must prioritize diverse leadership. We must. Like in Acts 13, Racially diverse congregations always have racially diverse leadership. And once again, just so you know, we want to be way more intentional about this as a church because those at the front send a welcome signal to all races. And I acknowledge, put my hands up and say, we haven't done well on this so far as a church we want to do better now very quickly let me just answer the charge of tokenism which may be coming into some of your minds tokenism is when you either as part of the majority race have no intention whatsoever of actually giving away any authority but simply want a face up front to make it look like you are or when you put an unqualified person in a position of leadership simply because of their skin color. That is different than intentionally pursuing racial diversity. We as a church are looking for God to give us qualified leaders from every race, whether that's white people, black people, Asian people, people from every conceivable background because we want our leadership to reflect the people that we are actively wanting to reach and I want to ask you to stand with me in praying for this to happen more and more you do that? Seventh free revelation five racial diversification has its limits as we're texting this this will get you going Pre-Revelation 5, racial diversification has its limits. If for no reason then language does put barriers between us, doesn't it? I say this because I want to help you manage some of your expectations. Let's be real. Certain outreach is done best on homogenous grounds, whether it's athletes reaching athletes, scientists reaching scientists, young mums reaching young mums. That's not wrong, it's just natural. Even corporate worship does have its limitations. We, we have to adapt to our context and, I guess, the amounts of the kinds of people God has given us to reach. Maybe you're thinking, no, you're watering down the message. Everything should be fully multicultural all of the time. But you can't expect people to act mature in Christ before they are mature. And embracing other cultures is a sign of spiritual maturity. Remember, in all of this, the church is a sign pointing to what it's going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth, which means as much as we can, we pursue cultural diversity while balancing it with all the other things that God has given us to do. Eighth, we must devote ourselves to humility and patience. Humility means... We must be quick to listen and slow to speak. In other words, I need to seek to understand you before I'm understood. And for that to work, we need humility and patience. Because we are going to say the wrong thing from time to time. At the end of the day, we're family and we need to learn together. I mean, people say wrong things all the time in my family. I mean, we might look pretty perfect sitting at the front on a Sunday morning, but behind closed doors, believe you me, we are not perfect. But that doesn't mean that any of us are leaving the family anytime soon. Which leads to my ninth, ninth point. Let's give the benefit of the doubt whenever we can. We should assume the best about one another's intentions until they prove completely that they actually have bad ones. I suggest we perhaps need that principle more on this issue, the issue of race, than perhaps any other. I've got a friend in another church who told me about someone of a non-white race complaining to him that they didn't feel welcome in the church, they were having incredible trouble connecting with others in the church, and it was all down to race. My friend asked them, whether they went to a small group. The answer was no. Asked whether they were in any way involved in any of the volunteering or serving teams. The answer was no. Asked whether they'd ever invited anyone from the church round. The answer was no. I mean, it doesn't actually matter what colour you are. If you haven't done any of those things, you will feel disconnected. It's a challenge to all of us from every race rather than just blaming others what are we doing to build some bridges listen rather than blaming others it's way more healthy to give people the benefit of the doubt. because if you think something is an issue you will keep on looking for it and because you're looking for it everywhere invariably you'll keep seeing it it's like if you're terrified of snakes then you go for a walk in the woods you will invariably think that every stick is a snake. So give them the benefit of the doubt. But maybe you're thinking, well, what if I give them the benefit of the doubt and they do have bad motives? Well, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And one of the best ways to change one another isn't to keep on pointing out one another's faults. It's to keep showing grace. Listen, It is painful to admit that there is racism, possibly even in our church. And I need to call it out for what it is, it's wicked and it's sinful. Some of you perhaps have been on the receiving end of that. And if that's the case, I can only stand here and say I'm deeply, deeply sorry but we will go so much further if we give each other the benefit of the doubt whenever and wherever we can and try and overcome one another's evil with good on those occasions where we do fall short at the end of the day if I'm secure in who I am in Christ I'm not going to be so easily offended by everyone who might think less of me and I won't be anywhere near as sensitive. Tenthly, and there are no other subpoints after this. Tenth and finally. Some of you should consider all of this a calling. A bit like with a call to evangelism, we are all called to do this. But some of us are more specifically called to it than others. I don't know, perhaps some of you need to make a more central part of your ministry focus this whole thing. To intentionally perhaps leave your community or your group and enter another. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to travel 10,000 miles across the globe to reach people of other cultures but not consider travelling 10 metres across this room or 10 miles across our city to do the same. Let me use this moment to acknowledge that We have some people in our church from other races, other cultures, who have entered into a mostly white church. You are pioneers who should be applauded and celebrated. And if that's you, I am so incredibly grateful for your courage, for the sacrifices that invariably you will have had to make, and your commitment to us. And I want you to know that you are an answer to prayer. Prayers that have been going up for the 21 years that we've been going as a church. You are a gift to this church because you are helping us be a better reflection of the beauty of the gospel to our city. So all that being said, we all must intentionally form relationships with people Outside our culture, outside our comfort zone, on every side. Because if we don't do this, it will never happen. You need to know, if we're not being intentional about becoming diverse, we are actually being intentionally non-diverse. But let me close with some good news. God is doing this. And well, isn't that what we're seeing week by week in the book of Acts? This wasn't Peter's idea... This wasn't the Gentiles' idea. This was God's idea. The Spirit of God is doing this. And right here, right now, I believe we have a chance to join with him in playing our part. Demonstrating real, amazing unity in a way that magnifies the power of the gospel in our city. key question is whether you are willing to say yes to God. Because who are we to stand in his way.